And truly it is our thank you to everyone here for your gracious attendance and attention as we work our way through the scriptures. Um, I do need to this and we'll give you some time to uh, Anybody notice these were Christmas colors? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be filling the board today, so you'll be... Uh, some will want to take pictures of it afterwards because it's just going to be so wonderful. <laughs> All right. I gave a version of this particular class many years ago, and in talking with Philip about what topic to do for Christmas. He reminded me of this particular presentation. I thought I'd bring it to you anew. The beauty of that is when I went to look for my notes from that particular thing, I couldn't find it. So I started over, which is kind of fun, makes it all new and it's refreshing. But it is a biblical study of the concept of light as is found in scripture. Christmas is a season where we celebrate light. It's on our trees, it's on our houses. Some even light up their pets. The question is, why? Not why about the pets, but why do we use lights? Why, why do we... I know it's festive, but is there something else to it? I mean... The Jewish Hanukkah just ended on Friday, and another name for it is what? The Festival of Lights. Lights. Why? Because they light the seven candles of the menorah in a representation of something that happened 2,500 years ago. By the way, that is the one festival in the New Testament that's never mentioned. It's not specifically as the festival of lights, it's the festival of dedication. And because they were dedicating the temple back in the Maccabean period. But isn't that interesting? Of all the festivals, that's the one that's not mentioned. But we can imagine that Jesus probably was a part of that. Anyway, that's a side note. One of the many rabbit trails I followed <laughs> in preparation here even the city of Phoenix has something called the Light Parade, which was the, usually the first weekend of December, where they just festoon a lot of vehicles and drive down the street, and everyone oohs and ahs, and it's very bright and shiny. And yet, John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of light and will never walk in darkness. I am the light of the world. What does that mean? I mean, is he a big flashlight? Is he a big, you know, some amorphous light being? And if we follow him, we will have the light of life which is even more cryptic. What does that mean? 
And the more I thought about this, the more I realized that we take light for granted. We flick a switch and the light room, you know, just, it lights up. I could go over there right now, turn it off, it'd be a little dim, but I'd turn it back on and we'd be fine. And if you're in your house and you flick the light switch and it doesn't go on, you look at the light switch, furrow your brow and flick it three or four more times. And then you think, oh, maybe the bulb's out. So you check the bulb. And then you realize, wait, none of the lights in the house are on. So you go outside and you check the neighborhood. Is the neighborhood dark? Oh, well, that means the power's out, which means we need to go find the flashlights. And you go find the flashlights and realize that you don't know where the batteries are because you'd never changed the batteries in the flashlight. And the flashlight doesn't work. And by the time you stumble around the house and you find the batteries, put them in the flashlight, the lights come back on. We all experience this, right? Or you, you know, find the candles, but then you don't know, can't remember where the candles are, and then you're, you know, kicking things and stepping on Legos, and it's all very fun. We take it for granted. In the time of Jesus, there were no street lights. In fact, at night, the only light, if you want to call it natural light, was the light of the moon. So what would happen if there was a new moon? And there's no moon at all. You can't see anything. In fact, any light that was not natural was created by man. Either in the form of fire or a torch or some lamp that they created so that they could see. And as you know, time went by, wasn't there a time where and you think of the old stories of London where you had people whose job was to go down the street and light the street lamps? Talk about a job that got wiped out by technology. I mean, whoa, that's, that was really disappointing. But think about your house was lit by kerosene light lamps and you just hope you didn't accidentally kick one over or that your kids were not playing soccer at night and starting a fire like the famous Chicago fire with the cow kicking over the lantern and literally setting the city on fire. But think of how our language has created light <coughs> cliches. We are blinded by the light. We bring something to light by the cold light of day. Okay, let me just stop there. What is that? What is the cold light I'm, versus the hot light? I don't know, anyway, the cold light of day. Arizona doesn't observe it, but we have daylight saving time. You go out like a light. There is a guiding light. It's a great soap opera. Uh, there's half light. You hold something up to the light. You light a fire under someone. You light a fuse. We are light years apart on this topic. We shed light on the matter. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And it's a train. <laughs> and if you're famous, you can put your name up in lights. Now, everything I've just said is completely unhelpful 
to this our to our understanding of light, especially from a biblical perspective. But it underscores my point is that we take light for granted. We don't even think about it. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to shift into a uh, science class for a moment. For those of you who had science class more recently, and there are some of you in this room that were in a science class more recently than the rest of us, but <clears throat> I tend to believe that I forget everything I knew, so I was smart once. I may have known it, and it sounds vaguely familiar, but we're going to rehearse some of the things of science. So, right now, watch what I'm doing. I'm going to grab some light. I just did. Didn't I? I grabbed some light out of the air. I mean, it's lights everywhere, and I just grabbed some of it, and is it still there? Did it go away? Yeah, look real carefully. <laughs> is it glowing inside there? So, if you can't grab it, then what is light? Well, we can't actually see it, or can we see it? And we have a philosophy professor in the room, and I imagine <laughs> even he struggles to define what does this mean? What is the meaning of matter? What is the meaning of existence? But light is actually electromagnetic radiation. It is the property of wavelengths. So now here comes the science part. I'll try to put it up on the board here. See if you can follow along or anticipate what I'm doing. So wavelengths are the speed of the radio wave, or the, the, the wave itself. You have the slow end is down here, and the fast end is up here. An entire spectrum. The fastest are gamma rays. We know gamma rays because they are the radioactive waves that kill cancer cells. This is the most dangerous. And in fact, if you can see it on a spectrogram, these rays have a wavelength that looks like that. I mean, it's really fast. The second level, where this was not the Good one. Let me go into the bag for a better pen. These are the special ones. Of course, they're in a package, so I can't. I'll use red. Hmm? Make the letters a lot larger. Make the letters a lot larger. Okay. <laughs> In the past, there were like 12. <laughs> <laughs> you see that from the back? All right, camera rays. Of course, this is going to make this chart be a little more difficult. <laughs> the next level are x-rays. Okay. They're a little slower, but still pretty fast. And x-rays, those actually penetrate physical objects. And you can see things beyond. Now, 
Are these dangerous? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Are x-rays dangerous? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you stand in front of the x-ray machine for three hours and they forget to turn it off, you could have problems. But with the snapshot, not so much. I always found it interesting growing up. They didn't cover your body with a lead sheet when you got x-rays at the yes. dentist. Yes. Now they do because they realize they were killing people <laughs> slowly. Uh, but those of us who have a lot of dental work should realize, oh, maybe that's the problem. Uh, <laughs> all right, the next one is UV, ultraviolet. The ultraviolet rays is pretty much what the sun creates. It spits out ultraviolet rays. If you're outside too long, without sunscreen, it will burn your skin. It will change it in not a good fashion. I can't tell the difference between your UV rays and your X-ray. They look like the same one. <laughs> <laughs> she can offer the steam very well. She can see the yeah. Okay. Let, I'll just say, go look at Mr. Google. He'll show you the name. <laughs> All right. And in the middle, is visible. So the visible rays, this is what we see. You can't see ultraviolet, you can't see x-rays, and you can't see gamma rays. We see this part. Then comes infrared. So I wrote here, um, wow, I did not write it correctly, so I cannot read my writing. <laughs> anyway, infrared would be, it's light, but it's light we cannot see. It's not dangerous necessarily, but it can help you see darkness if you have an infrared camera or infrared goggles or something that shows a different spectrum of the visible waves. Because Sandy's critiquing my word. Oh, I'll be a little, little less. Uh, there we go. All right. Next level. Micro. Microwaves. And as you can imagine, that's that little box you have in your kitchen. It's creating light. And it's cooking something from the inside out. Are microwaves dangerous? Yes. Yeah, again, with overexposure. If you stick your head in the microwave, <laughs> close the door and turn it on, you will not have a good result. That's why you don't cook an egg inside a microwave. It will explode because there's no place for the expansion to go. It just pops. Anyway, and the last one, are radio waves. And let's see, that's a little less and then almost unseen. Right now, I'm standing here and KTR radio is going through my body. Everyone's body. Right now, radio waves are passing through you this moment. Everywhere. Radio waves are everywhere. AM, FM, television, 
And by the way, microwaves are cell power, so they're a little faster. Where the telephone waves come from. And you look at that and you go, oh, that's really boring. Um, <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Well, I come back to the part that we see. Let's split this out. Let's take the visible light, expand it so we can see it. Visible light, as Isaac Newton discovered when he passed white light, that's the white we see in this room, through a prism, created what? A rainbow. And we see that when you look up in the sky and the light is passing through the water. And it's like, ooh, that's beautiful. Um, Isaac Newton was the first one to pass it through a prism, then capture that light and pass it back through a prism and put it back together into white light. And when he realized that, he saw, thought, oh, so the light we see is actually multicolored. Or is it? So in the spectrum of visible light, there are, well, just for, I'm simplifying this for the sake of us here, uh, there are seven colors. The first color is violet. I'm uh, sorry, it's not big enough for those in the back. But you have <laughs> ultraviolet, and so the first color on the spectrum is going to be violet. Then the next one is indigo. Then comes blue. Let me make sure I've got my spectrum correctly here. Then comes green. Can you guess next? Yellow. Yellow. Orange. And then red, because the next step is infrared. Oh, now, this means that approximately 88% of light is not seen by us. God created light. But he created light that we cannot see. He creates so much more than we can ever see. And it's only through the curiosity of scientists trying to figure this all out that we have this understanding of light, but it's still inexplicable. <coughs> the fact that you have this huge spectrum of radioactive waves and this spectrum of radioactive waves, and yet we only see the middle part. And it's this tiny sliver, tiny sliver. And by the way, we were talking about, is this dangerous? Yes. Is this dangerous? Yes. All of it. Radio waves, are they dangerous? Well, I hope not. It's passing through us right now. What about radar? Well, radar is more of a microwave. And they actually, when radar was invented from the military, they found out very quickly 
not intentionally, but at the, if someone stood in front of one of those big projectors, it did not have a positive result. <laughs> because when they turned it on, the wave was so powerful, it basically melted the person because it would, from the inside out, cook them. Because <coughs> they were standing in front of a big microwave projector. Oh, so the next time you see one of those big things floating, you know, swimming around on the top of a plane or on a, on a ship, there's a reason why it's up in the air and not down in the crew cabin. So they hit birds every so often? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the problem, is that it is a focused, projected thing. Now, granted, it disperses very quickly. You have to be standing right in front of it for it to be dangerous. This little, little sliver is all we see. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and all things were created by him and for him, but we only see a little bit of it and have no appreciation for everything else that he does in creation. And that made me think, it's a little side note, because of technology and cell phones and other things of that nature, we tend to not think something is true unless we see it. A little bit like a disciple by the name of Thomas. I don't believe it, I gotta see it for myself. Wow, 2,000 years later, I don't think it happened. Show me the cell phone video. <clears throat> because we don't trust people's eyes. And even police will say, if we go into a situation and we interview multiple people, if they all say the same thing, we predict that they're in collusion with each other. Because there's almost no way that they all saw it the same way, from the same angle at the same time. But if they can put together the picture, then they can figure out what happened. So, once they had this all figured out, then there was the question, well, how fast is it? I mean, is light instant? Anybody know the speed of light? Come off the top of your head. 186,000 miles per second. Almost right. You are so close. It's 186,282. <laughs> but true, 186,282 miles per second. That's seven times around the Earth in one second. That's pretty fast. Galileo tried to figure out the speed of light, could not. He actually sent one of his assistants up to a mountain and to you know, unshield a lantern, and he saw it. How they, and then he did the same thing, and the guy said, I saw it. So they figured back then that light was instantaneous. No, it wasn't, it was just really, really fast. So fast. It wasn't until 1927 that we got that number. They took multiple experiments, years. This one fella, his name was Albert Michelson, the father of modern physics, actually. It took him 49 years 
of experiments. He was close much earlier than 1927. And in fact, he uh, was given the Nobel Prize in physics in 1901. And his symbol for the speed of light was the letter C. Anybody think of how that's important? E equals MC squared. That's where that came from. When he figured out the speed of light, then Einstein came along and was talking about relativity and all of these other things are related to the power of light. But when you start thinking of the speed of light and that it takes eight minutes for the light from the sun to hit us, and then realizing when we start talking about light years and the size of the galaxy, I hope you begin feeling really small. So if you go out at night this evening and look up in the sky, you are not seeing the starlight in real time. You're seeing light that started hundreds of years ago for some of them for that light to reach our eyes. Now because I am a lover of science fiction I, I use this as an example of the reality of time travel because all I have to do is go outside and look up and you are seeing the past. You're not seeing the instant. Even the sunlight that's shining on our parking lot right outside the window is eight years, eight, eight, eight minutes old. It didn't come from a light switch. Even though it's really, really, really fast, it's not right there, and yet it's ineffable. It, it doesn't have tangent. I can't hold on to it. <clears throat> so, now that you're enlightened, <laughs> yay, come on, thank you, slow clap, there you go, perfect. <laughs> Technically, there's no such thing as color. Technically. You look at this shirt and you think, oh, it's green. Yeah. But, What's actually happening is you are seeing the reflection of green because this shirt has absorbed every other color into it. And the only thing it's reflecting back to you is green. Light is pure white. But when it hits this fabric, all the other colors disappear, except for the one that's reflected back to you. That's why those who are colorblind struggle because their brain is not <coughs> processing the waves that are coming back in the same way that someone else's eyes are. They're not blind, there's just certain colors that don't resonate on that wavelength. Now, I know this is simplistic, but there's a larger point that I'm going to get to in a few minutes here. So let's look at this corner of the whiteboard. Now, granted, this is a color. 
just go to any paint store and find out how many colors of white there are. <laughs> Uh, you know, let's paint the room white. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> anyway, but if we were just to take the exercise, this is reflecting back all the light in the form of white. If this was a blackboard, like my pants, like your 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 your, your dress and your coat, it's absorbing all the light and only reflecting back, well, what? Nothing. Um, see if I can find this here. Ah, here we go. Three years ago, a team of scientists at Surrey Nanosystems had the distinction of creating the blackest black known to man in the form of a paint. It's darker than soot, darker than coal, darker than night. And once an object has been coated in their patented Vanta black, it stops reflecting light at all. So that all visible depth and texture are lost and the object takes the appearance of a void. So imagine someone wearing a, an all suit of Vanta black you have Action Lab. Action Lab. He's a scientist who does all crazy things, and he made that. He made one of those. In other words, he disappears, but he's this void wherever he moves because the black is no longer reflecting any light; it's absorbing it all. <laughs> Another property of light is heat. The more focused and intense, and you can end up with a laser, right? And we use lasers to do surgery now. And ironically, we use lasers to do eye surgery. That's scary. But the technology, when it was first done, was like, I'm not gonna let you do that. And now it's more like, oh yeah, yeah I'll go in and you pop out and you're fine. And, you know, as we all know, <clears throat> warfare completely changed 45 years ago with the invention of the lightsaber. <laughs> what? It, you mean it's not real? Uh, okay. um, another power of light is that it dispels darkness. If we were to create and make Phoenix Vanta Black, and stand on the top of Camelback Mountain, and you have a friend stand on the top of South Mountain, how many miles is that? What, eight miles away, maybe? And that friend struck a match. You would be able to see it. It dispels darkness. <clears throat> Light is more powerful than any darkness, which is Intriguing when you look at the fact that NASA says 68% of the universe is make up, made up of dark energy and 27% of the universe is made up of dark matter. So that means 95% of the entire universe is made of darkness. Any of you ever visited Carlsbad Caverns? 
New Mexico. You go down there and you go into these dark caves and <coughs> you take the tour and you're going down the, I remember doing this as a kid with my parents and you go into the bowels of this place and it's pretty amazing. And then they turn out the lights and you can't see anything. You put your hand in front of your face, you wave it around, and it's terrifying when you're eight years old. And then the man flicks a match, and suddenly you feel, oh, I'm safe. And you think, what's going to happen with that match goes out? Uh, and then he flicks on the lights, and you try to think of the ancient Indians who were in the area who had originally found Carlsbad Caverns with candles going down and exploring this place with candles. Mm. Growing up in Alaska, as I did, even in the darkest of winter, when I would walk to school in the dark and come home from school in the dark, because the sun would rise at about 10 o'clock and set at 2. So it was always dark, but never dark, because the snow reflected any ambient light at all. And there was this constant glow all the time. And I never really thought about that until we moved to Hawaii when I was 14. And when the sun set, it pitch black and the mountains disappeared. And I freaked out. And what's going on? Well, it's such a difference. There was no ambient light to light everything so you could see for miles. Growing up, I didn't know that we had blackout curtains on all the bedrooms in Alaska. Because during the winter, the light would come through the window and wake you up. So Anthony Doerr, in his novel, All the Light We Cannot See, which won a Pulitzer Prize, was just recently made into a movie, he wrote this. The brain is locked in total darkness. It floats in a clear liquid inside the skull, never in the light. And yet, the world it constructs in the mind is full of light. It brims with color and movement. So how does the brain, which lives without a spark of light, build for us a world full of light? It's a miracle. It's God's miracle. So let's turn into your handout, and let's look at what the Bible has to say about light. A lot of verses to look at. And this is only a small sampling. There's approximately 250 verses throughout Scripture. In fact, you can find the word light used in 54 of the 66 books of the Bible. And what's interesting, for those of you who love this kind of trivia and you want to wow your friends, the word light is not found in the book of Galatians or Philippians. It's not found in 2 Thessalonians, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John or Jude. 
but it's found in all the other books of the New Testament in some form or fashion or in extraordinary amounts like in the book of John. First parts of Genesis, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said the light was good and separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called light. And there was evening, there was morning, the first day. These are the first words God decreed in the Bible. These are the first words God spoke in the Bible. He had already created the heavens and the earth, but that wasn't one of the days. That was extra. It was bonus. Had to have something to put it, put it. But think about it in the order of creation. First day, he creates light. Day four, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. So what about all the rest of the time? Did he have a flashlight? I mean, no, it's the glory of God. And we see that by the last book of the Bible, which is the next verse, in Revelation 21 and in 22, it says, The city does not need the sun, the moon, to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the king, uh, kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Revelation 22.5 They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. God is more than light. His being, His glory is more than light. He created this. This spectrum so that we can see. So that we can see the glory of His creation. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. God is the source of our light. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. In Isaiah 9.2, which I don't have here, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. We tend to read that around this time of year. And then Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. I think it's very appropriate that you are talking about Bible reading this morning to the congregation in that if you want to understand and you want to be able to see, you need the word to be able to see because it is God's word and this word is that lamp and it's a light on the path. Without it, you're going to stumble around with your eyes closed. Then comes Christmas passages. And I, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, the accusation that Pastor Jim and I are in cahoots is, well, I'm sorry, but it happened again today. He read this passage, Luke 1.79, from the pulpit today. He was quoting from Isaiah, I'm sorry, from Zechariah, after John the Baptist has been born and his mouth is opened and he declares, he came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet on the way of peace. And I threw in Luke 2.9, 
where the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You don't have the word light there, but I'd say it's implied. It's kind of obvious they're talking about light. And go back to what I talked about, the technology of that era. Night was dark, really dark, except for man-made campfires or torches. And so for the, the sky to light up, I'd be a little nervous too. What is happening? And they were filled with fear. And then when they presented Jesus at the temple, Simeon says, for Luke 2.30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. And then we have the story of the wise men from the east drawn by a light who traveled 4,000 miles in a caravan. This is the ultimate <coughs> GPS story of history. Just, just try to picture it. They're in Iraq. And they look up in the sky and go, oh, let's make a trip. That's bizarre. I'm, you know, I'm sitting here in a, you know, a logical frame of mind. But there was something about that that was unusual and different. Enough for them to say, we have to go see it. And they knew the scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures. Because where were the Jews living during the exile? In Iran and Iraq. Babylon. The work of God in those people kept with those people so that these stargazers, these wise men, decided there's something going on that's something we've never seen before. Let's go find out. It's a little hard in Phoenix to stargaze because um, there's so much light from the city, it just washes out. Um, in fact, to, to do any of it, you have to leave town. In fact, they're, they're fearful that Flagstaff is growing too much, that the observatory there is going to lose its ability to really do its work because um, that's where the observatory is. Again, growing up in Alaska, I learned at a very young age how to orient myself at night. I would look up in the sky and see the Big Dipper. And if you see the Big Dipper, you can then find the North Star, because it's right off the edge. And I'll tell you, it's quite extraordinary when you're up there and you just look at the, anywhere you are, you look up and go, oh, there it is. Oh, there, oh, there's the North Star. All right, now we know where we are. You can do it every night. That's why the Big Dipper is on the flag for the state, because it's such an iconic image. And when the wise men came, they said, Where is he? He's been born king of the Jews. We saw a star when it rose, 
and we've come to worship him. And after listening, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen, it rose and went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. In Jesus, in 8.12, which is kind of our theme passage, he spoke to the Pharisees saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of light and will never walk in darkness. Never means never, by the way. Doesn't mean sometimes. Doesn't mean just Tuesday. You know, Taco Tuesday is the best day of the week. It's the only day when you're not going to have this problem. No, it's never. Not if you follow the light. And then Psalm 23, which was quoted or referred to by Zechariah, even when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And a shadow is an absence of light, but it's not an elimination of it. It's an echo of it. John 3, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is so very encouraging. We are in a world, there are those who just love to create darkness. That seems to be their goal in life, is to destroy, is to promote evil. I mean, the fact that they put up an altar to Satan in the state capital of Iowa, out of quote-unquote religious... Freedom, oh my goodness sake, you know exactly what they're doing. They're just thumbing their nose at everybody. This is darkness being allowed into the very fabric of our day. And in every place we go, you almost can't escape it. And yet, this verse is so encouraging because in John 1.5, he says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You may think it's dark and that it's hopeless, but Christ says, oh no, I'm the light of the world. Do not fear. My grandfather, he talked about how awful the world was and how full of sin. And he was around in World War I. My father talked about how awful the world was and how full of sin it is. And he was in World War II. And I talk about how awful the world is and how full of sin it is. Hmm. It hasn't changed, has it? And yet, the power and the glory of Christ and the light of his visage dispels the darkness. There is hope, even in the worst of times. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And we just studied that when we studied Colossians 1 a couple weeks ago. 
However, the command I now write you is new, because its truth is seen in Christ and also in you. For the darkness is passing away, and the real light is already shining. If we say that we are in the light, yet hate others, we are in the darkness to this very hour. If we love others, we live in the light. And so there's nothing in us that will cause someone else to sin. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Your eye is a lamp of your body. And when your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. See to it, no pun intended, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a light lamp shines its light on you. The light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again. And your moon will wane no more. And the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your days of sorrow will end. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's an interesting when you merge scriptures like this together in a narrative. It takes on a new power and a new focus. And you feel the power of God's word permeate your mind and your thoughts. First Peter 2.9 You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But there's one more passage, and I skipped it kind of earlier in that long recitation. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. Hmm. Didn't we just say that Jesus is the light of the world? And then Jesus turns around and says, He says, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Everybody's the light of the world. Wait, what? I'm confused. How can that be? We have just looked at the Bible about the power of light emanating from God, and now He says, You are the light of the world? How can it be both? It's a contradiction. I mean, I'm not divine. I can't create light. But Matthew 5 and Luke 11 says people don't, put a li- don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. They put it on a stand. And then it gives light in the house to everyone in the same way. So if light is a function reflecting and absorbing... Remember our discussion about the science? So you look at this green shirt, it's absorbing light, but reflecting at the same time. If light is a function of reflection and absorption, and we 
as believers are to be the light of the world, let's think about it. We're not divine. We're not creating the light. But we are made in the image of God. And an image is something we see. So if you're looking at me, you are seeing an image. And you have an understanding of what this image is. This glorious visage. (laughs) It's Steve Lobby, your teacher today. A fellow churchman. But, if that's all you see, I haven't done a very good job of reflecting what's in me. You shouldn't be seeing me. The image of God is in us. So as the light in this room comes in and we reflect back, if we are full of Christ, there is nothing for us to absorb. And what should be reflected back is the glory of Christ within us. If I am full, and I am, as Scripture says, obviously it's a metaphor, I mean, we can... But just imagine this for a second. If I am full of Christ, that is the light of Christ, that light is what you should be seeing. In everything I do, every place I go, everyone I meet, they come away thinking, yeah, that was, that was a guy, but there was something different. You've met people like that. You go, hmm, I wonder, they must be a believer because there's a glow about them. There is a light about them that's different. You should no longer see me, you should see Jesus who is the light of the world. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, you are the light of the world. It is His light within us as image bearers. It is Jesus who has come to dispel the darkness. It is Jesus who came to take away the sin of everyone who believes. It is Jesus who provides redemption and the hope of glory. And we are one with Christ. Union with Christ. Christ in us. Christ for us. Christ with us. God with us, Emmanuel. We are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And when someone looks at you, they should see the light of God's glory in your countenance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time. We could study this forever, and we should. We should come back to the idea. You are the light of the world. And we, when we roll around this city, and we see the various lights 
that we use to make a, a festive occasion and to keep things bright and merry, there is more to it than just the electromagnetic radio waves. It is your presence that gives true light in a world of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.